It's May 2022. Welcome to another episode of Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month, we recap some of the latest news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Lorenda, and he's Ryan. Join us as we explore the latest Muse News. Thanks, Lorenda. <laughs> After over a decade, Vancouver's show of ugly, neon signs is turning off the lights. One of the most popular exhibits at the Museum of Vancouver will be switched off next month. Neon Vancouver, Ugly Vancouver, which includes 22 neon signs and stories of these specialized lights in Vancouver, will end on June 29th, according to the museum. At one time, neon lights were seen everywhere in the city. These neon signs harken back to a time when Vancouver was the neon capital of North America. At its height in the 1950s, the city boasted more than 19,000 neon signs, more than Las Vegas at the time, says the museum in a press release. They've seen an increase in visits to the exhibit recently, partly due to its popularity on social media after local TikTok personality Laura Reed visited. These lights aren't being permanently turned off, though. The post... The redeveloped Canada Post building downtown will see the lights set up there. Quote, the museum is proud to partner with the Post's developer, Quad Real Property Group, in bringing these pieces of Vancouver history back to the downtown core, where they will be on display in a publicly accessible area of the building, says the museum. The new display will be bigger and brighter with other additions coming out of the museum's collections as well. It is expected to be set up in the fall of 2023. The landmark of the Museum of Anthropology at the University of British Columbia, as we know it, is now gone, temporarily. The iconic Great Hall of the museum, facing west towards the cliff, was completely demolished earlier this month, marking a significant milestone in the extensive seismic upgrades of the attraction. From the concrete rubble, a new replacement Great Hall, following the exact same architectural design appearance by renowned late Vancouver architect Arthur Erickson, will be constructed. The key difference with the future new replica wing, it will include engineering considerations and features that create a far more seismic, resilient design to house some of BC's most valuable cultural artifacts and to keep visitors and staff safe. The new structure will sit on a concrete slab suspended by base isolators that absorb some of the seismic energy, separating the building from the ground and from the main museum structure. A moat around the structure will allow for a movement of up to 35 centimeters in the event of an earthquake. In addition to the structural changes, tempered laminated glass will be used for the glass system facing the westward landscaping, and vaulted double glazed seal units will be used for the skylights forming the roof of the Great Hall. Roll down blinds will also be installed into the west glass facades, as the existing structure was a heat gain and glare issues from the low westernly afternoon sun. Other project components include upgraded interior lighting, carpenting, and fire protection systems. Artifacts such as the large totem poles in the Great Hall were temporarily relocated in late 2020 to prepare for demolition. Construction work beginning with demolition started in 2021 and the entire project is anticipated to reach completion in summer 2023. A construction hoarding wall separating the Great Wall from the rest of the museum has allowed the attraction to remain open during the disruptions. The Great Hall rebuild project carries a total of $30.5 million. The museum's last major capital project was in 2019, which was the completed rev renovation and expansion at a cost of $55.5 million. LGBTQ sailors in the spotlight at new Maritime Museum of BC exhibit. 
The upcoming exhibit at the Maritime Museum of BC in downtown Victoria will highlight the contributions of two SLGBTQ plus seafarers in the marine sector in the province. The exhibit, called Queer at Sea, Tales from the 2S LGBTQ plus community, will run from May 17th to November 5th. Quote, Queer and trans community have long been part of BC's maritime history. This exhibit shares stories of some of these community members in their own words, said the museum in a statement on Wednesday. Quote, Each person has a unique story. Each has moments of triumph and discrimination, the museum added. Visitors to the Burnaby Village Museum this summer season may notice a few less staff in costume than in previous years, and the museum's cultural heritage manager said it's part of the furthering a commitment to reconciliation and inclusion. While the majority of staff and volunteers, the blacksmith, tinsmith, steam demonstrators, and anyone whose role at the museum is related to an experience, will still wear costumes akin to what settlers in Burnaby in the 1920s would have worn, those who take on more educational roles like tour guides will not. Deborah Tudens told The Beacon that the museum is actively trying to educate visitors on histories and perspectives that haven't typically been seen of the wider historical record and sometimes that require having difficult conversations. We often talk about schools. This is what it used to be like growing up in Burnaby and going to school. But what's not part of that conversation is, well, this group of people went to school this way, but there was a whole other group of people going to residential schools, she said. And I don't think it's appropriate to have a conversation about residential schools with a costumed interpreter. You'd want to have somebody in neutral clothing to have a conversation about, Here what, here's what it was like in Burnaby. Tunes said history books and curriculas written in the past often leave out the voices and experiences of Indigenous people, leading to a misconception that diversity is something that just happened in the past couple of years. In fact, what we now know as Burnaby has always been a diverse place, Firstly, as the home of the Hunkaminam and Skohamish-speaking people, as well as to Chinese Canadians, South Asian Canadians, and African Canadians, among other groups. So we're trying to do what we can and look at the voices that aren't in the history books and do the research to say what happens specifically here in Burnaby. And yes, everything isn't pretty, but it needs to be acknowledged, Tutin said. We're not saying that we need to erase it and pretend it didn't happen, or even erase our colonial past. We need to acknowledge that we also need to provide the space to include other voices in order to move forward and be curious about other people in our community that might not have had the attention in the historical record. Tudin is adamant that the decision to remove some costume is not focused on cancelling a period of history or pretending that Burnaby's colonial past didn't exist. In fact, she says it's about expanding our understanding of the past and providing a neutral, third-party voice to explain parts of history that visitors may not be familiar with. But she notes that its current form, the Burnaby Village Museum, is in fact a colonial organization that has presented a colonial point of view. We're kind of built in a fictional, generic, authentic settler village, so we're not trying to pretend to be something that existed in the past. And so we're not saying to remove or erase history, we're just saying in order to be a bit more inclusive with our conversations, we need to look at how we are deploying people in costumes, Tutin said. Tutin said it's important for all levels of government and other organizations to do what they can to follow the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 calls to action, many of which focus on the importance of educating Canadians on the history of residential schools and other harms done to First Nation communities. Along with the decision to keep some staff wearing neutral clothing, she said, Burnaby Village Museum has hired a full-time Indigenous educator, established a matriarch's garden, and is working on a cedar grove that will be filled with Indigenous plants. 
As well as work on Indigenous histories and reconciliation, the museum is working to include diverse voices from other minority groups as well, including a book on the history of Chinese Canadians in Burnaby and an exhibit on Burnaby residents of South Asian heritage that's expected to open next year. Royal BC Museum to be rebuilt at the cost of $789 million. The Royal BC Museum in Victoria is getting a $789 million rebuild that will take over seven years to complete. The provincial landmark is set to close in September of this year, with a new faculty scheduled to open its doors at the same location in 2030. Quote, I know the importance of the 7 million artifacts that are here, and they need to be housed more appropriately than they have for the past number of decades, said Premier John Horgan. The 54-year-old building that houses the current museum is seismically unsound, filled with asbestos, and lacking the ability to safely preserve most of its collections with current best practices. The museum opened in 1968 at the current site, and has been working to modernize after being criticized for exhibits that primarily reflect white male settler history. Quote, We're taking the diverse stories of British Columbians and indigenous peoples out of the shadows and into the light, said Tourism Minister Melanie Mark. Officials say the new museum will feature mass timber construction, be fully accessible, and be more reflective of all citizens of the province and its indigenous and colonial history. Over to you, Lorenda. The American Museum of Natural History's Northwest Coast Hall, its oldest exhibit focused on indigenous history from the Pacific Northwest, will reopen this week after a significant restoration project led by an Achalanath artist and historian. It was a four-year project for Ron Hamilton, who also worked with a number of consulting curators from the Coast Salish, Gitson, Haida, Kwakwakwak, Nechalnath, and Tlingleq communities. The project was inaugurated last week in the presence of representations from communities involved in its restoration. It will be open to the public beginning on May 13th. Ron Hamilton said that while many museums are talking about making moves towards reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, that cannot be fully accomplished before stolen artifacts are returned. When we look at the collection of these materials, it's not a trite political stance on my part to say, we still own them. You, the museum, possess them. We own them. The only way we're ever going to know the true value of these treasures is by reconnecting our people with these treasures and allowing our people to tell what those treasures are used for. Ron Hamilton said American museums that showcase indigenous artifacts do not come close to painting the full experience of the peoples that they are talking about, the experiences of colonialism, subjugation under various pieces of legislature, and the actions that brought the artifacts there in the first place. He said he hopes to center Indigenous women with the renewed exhibition and highlight some of the diverse cultural beliefs expressed by the people who created the objects on display. The renewed hall features artifacts and placards that are contextualized with stories from the cultures they were taken from. It features 67 carvings from various cultures, totem poles, and thousands of other relics. Many of the artifacts and cultural objects in the Northwest Coast Hall, which opened in 1899, were gathered through various expeditions to the Pacific Northwest by settler scholars. Ron said most of the objects on display at the Northwest Coast Hall were taken without the consent of the indigenous people then, but a few were purchased through coercion. He says he thinks a visitor to an American museum right now would not be in awe of the indigenous people the museum claimed to showcase, but rather the institution of the museum itself. There's no real effort to get into the experience and to try to help people understand it, he said. I look at the opportunities that visiting such a place would present, and I would hope that it would be a place where we can tell the story of what's happened to us since the coming of Europeans to our shores. 
There will be an exhibit with contemporary artists from Indigenous communities in BC, according to the museum, as well as an exhibit featuring Ron and the rest of the consulting curators called Our Voices. There's a banner that represents my nation of Indigenous people that has 816 of the Native names that were given to them, every single member of the nation, said Ron's son, Jake. Those names have never been preserved. Some of them have never been on print before, so that was kind of incredible to see. For Ron, he hopes the museum will eventually fully repatriate the relics they have taken from cultures around the world. Our communities today are universally crying for healing, he said. Perhaps returning these objects could serve that purpose somewhat or serve some role in that healing. Irreplaceable. Thieves steal war veterans' donated items from Chilliwack Museum. Volunteers at the CFB Chilliwack Historical Society are reeling after thieves broke into the military museum and stole irreplaceable items donated by war veterans and their families. Quote, it was very upsetting. I haven't slept properly for the last couple of nights, said Karen Gordon, vice president of the society based in Chilliwack, B.C. Eighteen bayonets from all over the world were taken, along with an airsoft rifle that is inoperable and was on loan to the museum. Quote, they are opportunists, and they're taking advantage of our poor veterans who have loaned or donated these items to us. They serve their country, and what they have done to them is just another kick, he said. The not-for-profit society is uncertain how to cover the cost of the broken door and glass repairs. Anyone who can help is asked to contact the organization. From the resistance to systemic abuse that formed the basis of El Movimento in the 1960s and 1970s to the contemporary generation embracing issues of personal and political import right now, the Chicano Dreamers and Changemakers is a showcase for the wide-ranging scope of creative expression and intention coming from Mexican-American artists. Chicano is a gender-neutral form of the word Chicano or Chicana. Curated by the MOAs Jill Baird and Greta de Leon, the executive director of the Americans Research Network, the exhibit which opens at the Museum of Anthropology this week is the most expansive of its kind mounted in BC. By the end of viewing this exhibit, nobody is going to leave thinking of lowrider cars or iconographic tattoos or candle wrappers as defining a cultural identity. These works are exciting, brash, active, and sometimes disquieting. The two spoke by Zoom from different parts of Mexico about this interesting cultural force incorporating elements of identity from such indigenous ideas as the ancestral homeland of Aztlan, farm laborers, urban activists, fantasies, and more. Baird says the idea for the show has been suggested by a predecessor, but was held back for a number of reasons. She's pleased that was the case as it enabled the co-curation. Moa is already a member of the American Research Network, where Delone has worked on a number of projects about intercultural exchange for the museum and the Smithsonian. Learning about Chicano art through the artists has been eye-opening for Baird. For the last three years, I've been learning a lot about what I thought I knew about the American civil rights movement and gained a richer and more diverse understanding of what it encompassed, she said. I've learned a lot about the whole Chicano movement through the artist and working with Greta and discovered a far more interesting and complicated world than what I thought. So we have people like Rudy Trevino, whose artworks from the early to mid-1970s speaks about the agricultural movements of Cesar Chavez and others to an altar we commissioned by a new artist from San Antonio. The first thing visitors will see is a 2017 white neon piece by New York-based artist Alejandro Diaz proudly proclaiming, make tacos, not war.
This eye to the geopolitics of the present day is a perfect introduction into the methods that the artists used to combine serious meanings with more than a little humor. Both curators assert that this approach doesn't take away from the importance of the content, but rather displays resilience in the face of adversity. It is a reoccurring component of Chicano culture. To stay up to date on breaking Muse news, follow our Twitter at BC Museums ASSN. And if you'd like your Muse news to be shared on this podcast, email the BCMA at museumsassn.bc.ca. Thank you and good night. Mm-hmm.